That's good. Well, as you give, I just wanted to say again, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is John. I'm the campus pastor down at our South Campus, and we've had a great summer. I mean, we've done a lot of fun things, and you've done a lot of fun things, I'm sure. But for those of you who are crazy enough to admit it, the most fun thing you did this summer was ride a roller coaster. Who in your who in the room? Okay, I know there's some crazies in here, and I want to find out who you are real quick. Who would say that your the high point, the best part of your entire summer? was going to Cedar Point or Michigan Adventure or something of the sort. Just throw your hands up real quick. No shame. All right, there's a few of you in here. Good, good. Now you know where those people are. So just take one step away from them or like move one seat over, if you will. But a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Cedar Point. Now, Cedar Point in my family was a big deal because not a lot of my family liked roller coasters. And so I had the opportunity to go. And I was like, I'm intrigued generally by this. I'm interested in what a roller coaster could do for my adrenaline. And so I'm going to go. And so I got the opportunity to go. And right at like 10 a.m. when those gates opened, it was like heaven's gates had opened wide. I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so excited about getting to go to Cedar Point. Not only did I get to go to Cedar Point, but this was the opening weekend of the Top Thrill dragster. It was awesome. I mean, this thing is like 800 feet high, 300 miles per hour. That's a lie, but it's fast, okay? And it's tall, okay? I just want to make sure you're paying attention. It was big. And so I got into the line, and I was with my friend and his, and his dad, and, and somehow I ended up being paired with his dad. Like, I don't know, what kind of friend is that? He's like, you can go with my dad. I'm going to go with a random stranger, but we're still friends, I think. So I got into line with them, and I sat down and buckled myself into the seat next to his dad. And his dad is a very serious guy. He's stoic. Nothing phases him. Even this crazy roller coaster, he was kind of like just sitting there like this. Like, you know those people, right? Or maybe you're one of those people. You're just kind of like, that was cool. And then he moves on. But I had the chance to sit next to him. And immediately as I locked down that safety bar, I realized that I had made a grave mistake. I was not where I needed to be. I was definitely not at the right roller coaster. I had pictured something small and and petite, and I was quickly overwhelmed by the shrieks and screams of little girls that had gone before me, right? It was that moment in which I found out this is going to strike utter fear into the core of my being. And so I'm in this roller coaster, and immediately, three, two, one, this thing shoots off. And we go up to the top, and I'd seen roller coasters before me not make it over, right? If you've been on it, maybe you're one of those people, and I was like, oh, Lord, I don't want to be featured in the next Final Destination movie like I died on the top thrill dragster. No thanks. Like, that's not what I signed up for. And so it shoots off, and we start to just kind of creep over the top. Again, I realize I've definitely made a grave mistake. I thought for sure, and this is no lie, I thought, thought for sure as we cascaded down at whatever mile per hour that thing goes down, that I was on a roller coaster that was not on the rails. I was for sure, like, I know it's like a straight drop, but it felt like we were going all sorts of ways. And all I could exclaim were two simple, profound words. Oh God, that's not a prayer. You can laugh. Like, oh God, I was so freaked out. I thought for sure Life is over. Oh God, what have I done? Like what kind of mistake did I just make? And I was going down and I'm still here today. And so I was okay and I did it a couple times after that. But I remember that moment as being a moment that I was extremely struck 
and crippled even by fear. I was overwhelmed by fear. Maybe you've had that moment where you're driving, you hit black ice, and you've got zero control, four-wheel drive or not, over where your car's about to go. And that moment of panic and utter fear is in your heart, and you just have life memories going through your brain at five miles an hour, just like going through your brain, like freaking out. Maybe you had the moment where the kid sipped onto the bus for the last time. And the fear of what may be with that child or what's going to happen is just crippling. It's even paralyzing to you. Maybe it's the first day at a new job and there's that fear. And fear is really a potential of loss. Just like I feared that I was going to lose my life on the top throw drags. Or maybe you've had those moments as well. Maybe it's the fear of showing up to that new workplace. What is it going to be like? Or am I going to be accepted? Is this going to be harder or, or easier? Am I going to have a career here? Is my future going to be invested here? And maybe you just felt the moments of fear and panic and anxiety strike your life. A lot of us have experienced moments of extreme and utter fear. As we sit here today, there's actually a question that for many of us, even statistically, is backed up the fact that this question strikes fear in our heart. This question brings up what is going to happen next. This question brings up what is the story headed? And that's the question I want to explore today. And I believe the Bible, this story that we've gone into over the past couple weeks perfectly addresses this question. Where is the world headed? Where is the world headed? Whose hands is the future of the world really in? Now, it's funny, if you Google this, which is the smartest thing to do if you want to know the answer to a question. Uh, no, 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 I'm not, not advising that from this platform at all, but that's what I do. And so I Googled something that a lot of people are curious about. And you maybe have heard the news, maybe you've explored a little bit on your own, done some research, maybe you took a trip there to figure out if it's all real. But a lot of people are curious about this whole North Korea situation, so, so was I. And so I decided I'm going to Google, is North, and the first thing that comes up is North Korea going to bomb the U.S.? Like, that was a big question. I was like, whoa, I did not expect that. Like, I was just kind of curious. Boom, that like happened. Reality struck in. Where's the world headed? A lot of people are concerned that that is where it's headed right now. Is North Korea going to bomb the U.S.? And we laugh about it, but when we think about it, when we're alone, that's kind of a freaky question, right? Four out of ten American Christians, that's 40% probably the room that we're sitting in if you call yourself a Christian today believe that we are right now living in the end times. That right now, in this generation, we are going to see Jesus come back for his people or whatever the end times looks and is pictured like to you, that you are currently living in that. Four out of 10 people. And our primary reaction to the question, where's the world headed? Is normally fear. It's normally a a level of confusion and anxiety and biblical confusion and anxiety and not really sure where is this story headed. And the beautiful thing about scripture is that throughout this story, not just in one place, but we see answers to this question. We see a picture of what this question will be answered with. But a lot of us, even even I've got caught up in this. A couple weekends ago, the world was supposed to end. I don't know if you knew that, but you obviously missed it. We're all still here. The world did not end. But there's a guy who's kind of notorious for trying to make predictions and claim that uh, the world's going to end at certain points. His name was Harold Camping. And a few years ago, he actually died. But maybe you drove by this billboard at work or on the way to somewhere 
Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. The Bible guarantees it. I don't know if we're reading the same Bible. Like, I don't know. That didn't happen. I'm still here, and I would consider myself a follower of Christ. I mean, I'm someone who's trying to follow after the way of, of Jesus. And so there's been people before us, but not all of us would say we do this, but most of us live as if the answer to the question, where is the world headed, is kind of abstract. It's kind of out there. It doesn't really affect how you and I live today. It's just a good question. It's something to think about, something to be curious about. Maybe you're sitting around the bonfire with other like-minded people who are curious about the question, and you talk about it, or maybe you've done a Bible study on Revelation, and you've got the answer to that question, where's the world headed? But for many of us, we, we live in this kind of tension of where's the world headed, but some of us are, I would say, even if you drill down farther, it's more curious about where's my world headed, right? Like, where am I, where am I going? What's, what is next for me? And some of us not even intentionally, but we live out of this fatalist Christianity that says that tomorrow will look just like today. The situations and sin I'm in really are going to be the same situations and sin patterns that I'll experience tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and nothing really will change. It's fatalist. It's as if the future is fixed in your life. And there's really no way that Jesus' transformation of your life will make a practical difference right now. Not any of us would walk up here and say that's true. But when we think about that question, we live as if it was true. And here's what I believe in this picture that we're going to get into. In, in the book of Isaiah, this Old Testament prophecy, we're going to dive in to this picture of what and where the world is headed. But this is what I believe to be true. And I think this has massive implications for how we live tomorrow. Not just what we do in this hour together, because this is valuable, but it's not a perfect picture of what your life and my life actually looks like throughout the week. And it's this simple truth, that we embrace what we expect. We embrace what we expect. And that's not to say that that's a formula as much as it is a reality of our lives Monday to Saturday and sometimes on Sunday. We embrace what we expect. And the Bible paints a different picture. It gives a different expectation when looking at the question, where is the world headed? It doesn't necessarily give us a formula or a textbook answer as much as it gives a picture, as much as it creates an image of what that world will look like. And so, if you've got your Bible, we've talked about this all the time, but the Bible was written not just to inform us, but to transform us, that our lives would actually be different by the time we spend in this book. And so we're going to dedicate time to that this morning. And so if you've got a Bible or you've got the Bible app or you just got your notes and you want to follow along on the screen, I encourage you to turn to Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, and we're going to be in the couple verses 6 to 9. We're just going to look at this picture together. Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. And this is what it says. On this mountain... The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud, that is the veil, the, the, bar the barrier, the covering, the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. 
He will remove his people's disgrace from all of the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Now the book of Isaiah is a prophecy. Isaiah was a prophet. And, and the most common theme we see in this book is painted a picture of old Jerusalem and new Jerusalem. That is to say that the old world would crumble, pass away, be destroyed, but that God was going to raise up a new city, a new community, a new church that he would build his future on, that he would build the mission of God upon. And that's rooted back in other stories of the Old Testament, but that is what Isaiah is concerned with. He's concerned in some way with where's the future headed? Where's this story going? And there's a couple different phrases. If you're a note taker or you're a circler, which I totally am, I'm unashamedly a highlight circle, pen, squiggly line. I never draw straight lines because they're always bad. So I just say, I always draw squiggly lines. Maybe you're that kind of person and you're taking notes today and that's okay. There's a word there and there's a couple phrases that are so key to this passage and understanding the answer to the question, where's the story headed? One of those is mountain. On this mountain. We see that multiple times in this passage. Now, again, mountain is a reference to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a reference to the people of God, the city of God, the community of God. It's the mountain. And the banquet is something I'm pretty frankly excited about, okay? My mom's a good cook. She's a good southern cook. But uh, I don't know if she has anything on God cooking for me. Like, that sounds amazing. I don't know. Often I read scripture and it's kind of abstract. I'm like, what if that's true? Like, God is actually whipping up like my favorite meal as part of this banquet. I'm, I don't know if that's sacrilegious. I'm just going to say it. Like, that makes me excited. That picture makes me excited. This is what a meal actually will look like in Middle Eastern times. And often it, it's a chance to be in community. Often we sit at tables and then we get up. But this was a, a longer affair. These would last for multiple hours. And you've had those moments, right? You've got your best friends over and they're like, come over at six, and you never set an end date. It's just like, whenever you want to leave is good with us. There's other people you invite who are like, we're going to eat dinner from six to eight, okay? Like, are you okay with that? And they're like, sure, that's kind of mean. But your real friends, there's like no end cap on it. It's like, hang out till whenever. I mean, we're hanging out. We're doing our thing. And that's kind of how Middle Eastern and, and even the Israelite people would have viewed meals. It was a time to connect in community and with your family and enjoy time set aside to be with one another sidebar. That's why small groups are so important. Let's keep going. In the story of God, we see multiple times that this, this reference to tables and meals and this idea of table fellowship is brought up in multiple places. One of the most famous of those is Luke 14, where Jesus paints a picture of the kingdom of God as a banquet, as a meal, that people who you didn't expect to be there are actually there, right? That's the kingdom of God, that the people you're like, I don't know, you ate here. Like, I don't know, you could, you're allowed in this building. And Jesus is like, no, you are. Like, you're, you're welcomed in the people that are different than us. And when we embrace God's expectation for that table, our tables change too. The, the things that we're a part of and, and, and the people that we extend grace and mercy and hospitality and, and kindness to, whether that's neighbors or not, that's the kind of table that God's kingdom will have. It's that banquet idea because meals kind of related themselves to social status, right? 
The people you invited over, it was a big deal. It's why the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders were so ticked off when Jesus invited people like Zacchaeus and people that were different and people that were estranged from, the, from society's best. And he invited them to the table. And that banquet picture in Luke 14 and even in Isaiah is a, is a picture of what that table will be like. This other phrase that's interesting in this, and there's, there's two different kind of capturings of it, but the first is in verse 7. The shroud that unfolds, and there's those two words, they're all peoples. And then it goes on, the sheet that covers all nations. And then in verse 8, all faces. And in verse 8 again, all the earth. Essentially, the writer here in Isaiah is just saying, this banquet will have room for everybody. All peoples. People even that are different than you and I. People that look different. People that talk different. People that even think about the world different, but have aligned themselves with the way of Christ will be at the table. They're welcomed in. And we, because we embrace what we expect, that's one of the reasons that this, this past week's events or last Sunday's events with NFL stand on taking a knee rubs us such an interesting way. And maybe for some of you, you sit there and it's like, yes, that's the right thing. Others of you are like vehemently opposed, think it's the wrong thing. And really, I'm not here to say if which one is right or wrong, but just to point out that we expect people to stand. And when they take a knee, that changes for us our perspective. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need our expectations to be shattered so that we can realize that there's something much, much deeper going on. Because if you ask any one of those people, it's not just about taking a knee. It's about a problem that our country is still wrestling with that has been dormant. And we as the church can step in and address it. And it starts by setting the table for people that are different than us. It's realizing that God's picture of where the world is headed will include all peoples, all nations. And that should change how you and I embrace expectations even today. In the end of this little passage we've looked at, there's this beautiful phrase. It's beautiful. You almost want to sing it. Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice, be glad in this salvation. And this is the moment where the world is headed, where God will deliver a final blow to sin and bondage and death. And you and I experienced the ramifications of that initial fall. Remember, we talked about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We, we experience elements of the fall every single day. It's in the annoyance we have with our kids when they just will not listen. It's in the problems that we encounter at work. And they're not even intentional, but we just have people that like, man, that dude bugs me and I don't know why. That is sin. When we, we have issues with people who are different skin tone than us or different economic status than us, and we don't really know why, that's sin. That's the evil and the brokenness that has creeped into our hearts through fall and, and the decisions that we've made. And we as a church have an opportunity to align ourselves with God's way and God's picture and God's expectation for where the world is headed. See, I grew up believing in some way, and I would never have said this, but I acted as if my future in Christ and my character was kind of fixed. Like, maybe I'd get to a certain point, I could be a good person, and maybe try to follow Jesus here and there, but my life wouldn't actually be different year to year. 
that, that this year would pretty much look the same as next year, and the year after that would pretty much be the same. Maybe some other things would happen. Maybe some other events would happen. But my interactions with people would generally be the same. And, and I encountered in a moment, I shared this even the last time I spoke, but I encountered in a moment that brokenness that the video about Haiti was talking about, that stripping away of everything I thought about Christ and following him and began to live into a new identity and a new personhood in Christ. And it changed me. The Holy Spirit just wrecked me in such a way that my life had to be rebuilt by him. And we're talking all about concrete, the stuff you build on. And I came to realize that this is true, and maybe this is a word for you this morning is this, that your future is not final. Your future is not final. That is to say, not necessarily that the cosmos is in flux, but that your life, as you're aligning it with Christ, can actually be growing and transforming day by day, season by season. And that you can sit here next year, the exact same Sunday, and be a different person. That your life and character and habits and, and patterns and proclivities can actually be reoriented by the Spirit of God in such a way that your life looks more and more and more like Christ. I don't know about you. I want that. I desire that. I desperately want my life to look more and more like this, like Jesus, living with expectancy, setting the table for others, blowing sin out of my life, just, just overcoming those patterns and negative behaviors that pull me from God's best. My future and your future is not final. And really that whole story, and we shared the infographic, maybe you saw it on social media, maybe you've seen it here on Sundays, that, that whole idea that we're really talking about four movements here, that the story of God can be summed up in creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And restoration is that that we're talking about right now. I mean, that's having an expectation that the future is going to be better than the present or than the past. And not all of us currently live that way. We embrace what we expect, which is that the world will go down and down and that my world will go down and down and my habits and patterns and sin will just be over and over as a vicious cycle and I'll manage it at some point, but I won't ever be free. Hear me clearly. Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus has come to make you a new person, to reorient your desires to be that of his desires in this world. Things like communion remind us of this. Things like this story remind us of this. Things like small groups and being a part of the Haiti discipleship experience remind us of this, that God is in the business of transformation. And as a church, so are we. So are we. That's why we tell this story. Again, we're kind of in the, in the fullness of, of jumping back into fall. And that means your routines and rhythms probably have changed as well, right? If you've got kids, it's like, oh, thank the Lord. Like school is back in session. And they're in the same way, like, no, like I am not wanting to go back. And they're kicking and screaming, but I don't have any kids. So I don't have that luxury. I'm just going to project that upon you. Is that okay? Like my life, for the most part, is reoriented right now around a, a couple of hobbies, which you're like, that sounds awesome. And yes, I have a job. And yes, I've got things I need to do. And I've got a wife who is awesome. 
but my life this summer was concentrated around a goal. Now, my goal was to, to do a, a race, a running race that I've never done before, and I also wanted to cut some time off a race I had done before. And so, like any smart runner, I, I decided, and again, this is an old adage, and I think Jenny Acuff has said this recently, the simple thing that a that, uh, new pair of shoes is better than a new pair of knees. And everyone said, amen, right? You're like, yeah, totally. And so I, I read that as a 26-year-old and said, Lindsay, I need some new shoes. Like, I've got to get some new shoes. That's the key. That will be the key to going the distance and cutting off some time of my personal best in that race. And so, like any smart person, I immediately went to Amazon. I went to Amazon. I looked through and figured out, here's the shoes I want. And now, you know this is true, and something magical happens when you're on Amazon, and then you go to Facebook. What is it? What is it, right? You go to Amazon, and then you go to Facebook, and the ad is still there. It's like, what just happened? They read my mind. My computer's like reading my mind, right? And the shoes that I was looking at Amazon immediately showed up in Facebook. I was like, Lindsay, it's destiny. God is telling me right here, right? It's a miracle. These shoes have popped up everywhere online, and that must mean that I need them. God wants me to buy them. And she shook her head and didn't agree, obviously, but these were not just any shoes. These were Solomon Sense Rides with EndoFit Quick Lace System, an 8-millimeter toe drop, and 3-millimeter contragrip. No one else is like amazed by this, right? You should be amazed. I don't share my excitement. I mean, these were the bomb. These were amazing shoes. And I was, I was certain that if I got these shoes, my expectation was that I'm going to be better, right? I'm going to be faster. I can literally like fly and it will be awesome. Like I would just be tearing up the trail and no one's going to know like, wow, that guy's so fast. I'm hitting five minute miles, which now you're looking at me and I don't hit five minute miles. Like let me confirm that belief in you right now. But I said, if I get these shoes, I'm going to be better and faster and stronger for sure. I mean, there's no question. And so not only did I kind of peruse, and, and I nerd out, okay? I go hard. When there's something I want, I know every single, clearly, I know every single thing about it. I am bent on getting this pair of shoes. And so not only did I see that these pair of shoes were online, they're a pretty good price, a good deal. I found out that the, the, one of the VPs of marketing is going to show up to Cannonsburg Ski Area, and he's going to let me try them on. Like, he's going to do this shoe demo, which again, you're like, I can think of a thousand better things for my Thursday night than going to try on shoes. I can't, okay? So I decided I'm going to do this. And so I go, I try them on, and what happens? I'm flying, man. I'm going all over the place. I am blowing past everybody for that first half mile, and then I was really tired. But I was like going for it, right? I tried on the shoes. It was amazing. It was exactly what I expected. I went and did the race a couple of months later with those same pair of shoes, and I cut like 35 minutes off my time. I finished that next distance. I felt like a million Dollars. We embrace what we expect. We embrace what we expect. And again, that's not a formula. It's just a reality that if you and I expect that God is going to move tomorrow when you're at work, how much do you want to bet? Again, we're not gambling here, but how much do you want to bet that God is going to move at work tomorrow? If you actually believe that you're going to be a better parent in a week from now than you are today, how much do you want to bet that God is going to respond to that and give you different lenses to see the world? If you believe that next year, I'm actually going to be a better husband or wife than you are right now, what are the biblical chances that you actually may live into that? That your life will start to be 
reoriented and structured in a different way, that you'll think more creatively about how to be a better husband, or you'll think more strategically about how do I show love to my husband, or you think about all these different things that you just never thought about before. All you did was change your expectation. You didn't change the reality. You changed your expectation. When we think about that question, where is the world headed? This picture in Isaiah gives us the opportunity to embrace a different expectation. Steve Carter says it this way, that expectancy is my alignment with God's intended desires. Let me say that one more time. Expectancy is my alignment with God's intended desires. That's really the heart even of this this passage that we've read. The picture that we've read is that you and I, not just someday, not just when we feel like we can, and not just when the world seems to be really going to shreds, but that our life today and tomorrow would start to change and reorient itself into alignment with God's intended desires as his people. And you know this is true about marriage, about so many other things, but it's this simple, this simple reality that the best foundation is expectation. The best foundation is expectation. If you jump into a small group this, this year or this week even, and, and, and truly believe that being in community is going to make you better and going to actually help you be more aligned with the person of Christ, again, that's a great foundation to start laying, but it starts with expecting bigger. It starts with dreaming God-sized dreams and thinking God-sized thoughts and believing that his picture and expectation for where's the world headed can be true in your life today, not just at some point. And so the question can easily be turned to us. We think about that question, where's the world headed? Maybe the question we need to begin asking is, where is our world headed? Like me, where's my world headed? Where's your world headed? What are we doing and how are we partnering with the Spirit to make our world more in alignment with God's intended desires for the world, for the creation, for all peoples, all nations, all ethnicities, all groups of people who are currently not in alignment with one another or with Jesus. And so I'm a practical and simple guy. And so what I'd love to do is, and we're kind of family in here, I'd love to give you three simple things. I think if you do one or two of them, that you'll actually grow even more in your expectancy. You'll begin to brace a God-sized expectation, not just for the world, but for your world. And so here they are. They're just real simple. The first one is live with expectancy. That's kind of the overarching theme we've been talking about. But I know for many of us, our life is kind of stuck in the rut of believing that tomorrow will look just like today did. And the kind of person I am, good or bad, is going to be the exact same person that in a month that I currently am. And God is in the transformation business. He, that is to say that he's constantly helping us move into alignment with him as we align our lives with him. So maybe there's some steps you need to take to live with expectancy. And the second is this. Maybe in your life, it's just to say, God, I'm going to start setting the table for others. That may literally mean opening up your home to people who are different and, and think different and eat different and talk different than you. Maybe it's opening your home and setting the table in a real way. Maybe it's just in your relationships, in your online interactions, setting the table for other people is actually addressing and thinking and talking to those who are different than us 
in a way that reflects the heart of Christ, setting the table for others. Maybe it's the third. Maybe you're kind of in that first camp as we talked about, and your life has got a massive lack of expectation and an abundance of crippling fear. Maybe your life, you say, I, I don't really expect that much, and I've got a lot of fear. And there are God dreams and callings and visions within you that are bursting at the seams to get out, and you just can't say yes to them. You feel trapped in your own soul, and it keeps you from enjoying life. It keeps you from being open in relationships. It keeps you from being free to live the life and, and, and play out the picture that we see in this book. And God today wants you to enjoy your life. John 10, 10, I've come to give you life and give it to the full. So many times we live just out of a lack of expectation and an abundance of fear. And God says, not today. Not in this moment. Not in this opportunity. Not in this season. And maybe for you, it's signing up for the Haiti trip and going to the info meeting today. Maybe it's saying, you know what, there's, there's a calling that I'm going to start pursuing. Maybe it's quitting your job and doing something that you know God has always built you to do. Maybe it's doing something like joining a group which scares you and community freaks you out. And that's okay. I'm the same way. I'm introverted. So that freaks me out too. That's okay. But saying, God, I expect you to do bigger things by me stepping into community than me being a out of it. And so I'm going to say yes. So what I wanted to do is the band leads us in this song is to just carve out some space this morning for us to be quiet and to pray together. And I'd love just again as one of your pastors and friends is to be able to pray for you if you find yourself kind of landing in one of those areas saying God I need your help in this. And so let's bow our heads and let's pray together. God we expect you to do greater things in us than we've ever seen before. We expect you today to do bigger things through Frontline than we've ever seen before. God, we expect you to move in our marriages and families and places of employment and school in ways we just have not seen yet. So God, I pray for that, that group of people and the first set of people that say, you know, I just... I don't currently live with a biblical or, or God-oriented expectation. And I want that. I want my eyes to be open and ears to be open to what God is doing and how the Spirit is moving. And if that's you, I'd love to pray for you real specifically. And you don't have to embarrass yourself and no one's looking around. But if you say, John, I'd love for you to pray for me specifically. I want to live with expectancy. And if that's you, I'd love to do that. And if you could just kind of identify yourself real quickly by slipping up your hand and just letting me know. If that's you, just slip up your hand. I'd love to be able to pray real clearly for you. Yeah, hands all over. Awesome. You can throw those back down. Maybe for you, you're in that second camp saying, I, I really struggle. Maybe it's online under the veil of anonymity. Maybe it's in person or at work or at school. You just find yourself, man, it's really, really hard to get along with people who are vastly different than me. And God is challenging me. I know this, that God is challenging me to set the table for others. And if that's you, I'd love for you to slip your hand up real quick. Again, no one looking around, but that I can pray specifically for you. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. If you find yourself kind of in that third space of saying, I, 
if I was honest with you and I had to be honest with everyone else, I, I don't live with a real expectation for what God is going to do. And if I was brutally honest, I would say I'm kind of frankly apathetic toward what God wants to do. And I want to enjoy my life. There's callings and dreams and a vision that God has cast. And I want it. I want to seize it. I want to capture it in this lifetime and not miss out. If that's you, you throw up your hand real quick. I'd love to pray specific for you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for being honest. Let's pray together. God, we, we do thank you and we worship you and we trust you. And, and we know that for every one of us, you actually want to lead us deeper into a relationship with you that transforms everything about us, that helps us to see is a God expectation in us. Because the reality is we, we do just embrace what we expect. And I pray you help us to expect bigger, to live with expectancy, to set the table for others and to enjoy life, to seize every opportunity, to lead others around us who are not experiencing your love and grace towards that. So God, we love you. This church loves you. This community, help us to be aligned with you, with your intended desires for this world so that we can make a difference that is tangible and real and helps paint that picture of where the world is headed right here and right now. We pray it all in the strong and the beautiful and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, let's worship together.